The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
is our God. He is our firm foundation.
confess something. Um, I didn't know I was doing communion until like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but God works things all out for the good of those who believe in him. Because uh, I was, he, I don't know, he spoke to me a couple of days ago. Um, and I just happened to write this down. And uh, I was just like, I wonder when my next communion meditation is. <laughs> and uh, here it is. So. I'm ready. <laughs> and it just so happens to work out because um, Marie was talking about, you know, are there ever times when you're doubting God? Um, and I'm just wondering, have you ever doubted God? Um, you know, have you ever doubted based on your circumstances? Um, and I'm sure, like, you know, have you ever doubted his existence? And I'm guaranteeing probably nearly 8 billion people on this earth doubt that um, at some point. And that's possibly daily. And I want to put you at ease uh, that that's probably a, a normal thing. Doubt um, is probably, and I'm, I'm going to maybe blow some people's minds right here. This might be something that God gives us. And and that might go against the grain of some people, um, but just bear with me. It, this is an opportunity for faith. Doubt is, okay? And if we turn to one of my favorite passages, it's in Mark nine twenty four, And uh, it, I'm going to go back a couple of verses. But this is where um, a father brings his son um, to Jesus and he's possessed by demons, and he goes, if you can do anything, and, and that's in verse 22, and Jesus says, if I can do anything, um, he, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. And I think that's key for us. And I also think that's an important thing. For, that, that's a that's a gift for us to, to give to those who are doubting each and every day. Like we have people that are doubting all around us and we can say everything is possible for one who believes in the sun. Like that, that's a gift that we can give to everyone believe in him and our doubts can, can be, uh, be lifted. You know, we're still going to doubt from time to time because circumstances are hard uh, things are not going to just be lifted. It's, it's a process. Faith is a building process. There's no teleporting. We're going to go back in time with 90s worship here in a little bit. Um, so faith is a building process. It's more like National Lampoon's vacation. It's messy. Um, it's, it's a bumpy ride, but, uh, and we're going to get beat up, but we're going to get through it, and we have each other to lean on. Um, so... If you have doubts today, now is your chance. You get to lean into them. You get to pray Mark 9.24 over your, everything that you need. And 9.24, this is my favorite, is I believe. Because all of us in here, and if you're not, you get your chance today. I believe. Help my unbelief. That is so powerful. Um, and that's the Father talking to Jesus. So I want to pray over you today. Um, so if you would, uh, let's pray. Let him step into your prayers.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. We all have doubts, Lord. Sometimes we doubt you and where you're at. But we thank you for your son. We thank you for the sacrifice of him coming down and stepping into our mess. We thank you that he walked through everything that we walk through. We thank you that he is with us, that he left us a helper, Lord. And we thank you that we believe in him, Lord. Help our unbelief when we don't understand our circumstances, when we have odds stacked against us that we feel like are insurmountable, Lord. And we just want to trust in you, Lord. So help our unbelief today. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you in Jesus' name.
you've ever had a lucky rabbit's foot. <clears throat> now, full disclosure, it's probably not from a rabbit, all right? It's probably anything in our generation is a piece of plastic wrapped in some fake fur. I mean, how many yellow and red and blue rabbits do you know? So I, it's probably nothing, but we all seem to have some kind of a lucky shirt or a, a key or, or something that we've had in our history. I did some looking up. The rabbit's foot can be traced all the way back to the 7th century. And it was the left hind foot of the rabbit that, that women carried. They believed it to promote uh, reproduction. So women often carried them and rubbed them to better their odds of getting pregnant. In 1584, there are people that documented using a rabbit's foot rubbing on their bodies helped to cure arthritis. And it sounds bizarre, but we've all done simple things like that, right? We all have done things, rituals, knock on wood, the horseshoe above the door. I'm a baseball fan. We've talked about it. I love baseball, but baseball is the most superstitious sport that has ever been made, all right? Every baseball player, if he ever gets a three-hit game, he's going to wear the same socks. He's going to wear the same undershirt. He's going to walk in the exact same way he wants everything to be exactly the same. I don't care how old those stinky those socks are. We're wearing them because I got three hits that day, so I'm, I'm doing that. Why do we do things like that? Well, because somewhere down the line, something worked and we tied it to that action or, or whatever it is we did. Somebody had arthritis. Somebody rubbed that thing. They felt better. So everybody starts rubbing that thing on their leg or they jump into the batter's box and they cross themselves somewhere that way and they think it will be repeated. Question, do we sometimes treat God like a lucky rabbit's foot? That's our question today. We're in this series, Choose Your King. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 4, if you'd start turning there with me. We want to be a Bible-believing and a Bible-using church. So how many of you brought your Bibles with you? Lift them up. There we go. We want you to have your Bibles or your apps or whatever it is with you in the place. And if your kids are in here and they didn't get to go to Kids Zone, if they want to take notes and they'll bring them up to me afterwards, I'll trade them for a piece of candy. So there you go. We're looking at the beginning of 1 Samuel up to the kingship of David. We're not even going to get to David. We talk about David a lot. We're going to look at the first few chapters, probably about the first 10 chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. And specifically today, we're going to look at a story. It's probably not one of the famous VBS stories. It's not David and Goliath. It's not Noah and the Ark. But it, it shows a spotlight on a common problem. How do you and I view God as king? Join me in 1 Samuel chapter 4. If you're on the line or on the radio, thanks for tuning in to Central Christian Church, Portales. At the time Israel was at war with the Philistines, the Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines were at Aphek. Everybody say Philistines. Now, if you say Philistines or Philistines, both are acceptable. I'll interchange in there. It's totally fine. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp and the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, 
Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it'll save us from our enemies. So they went to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because of the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We've never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They, they're the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't know, if, if you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Okay, keep your Bible open. We're going to continue in there. And, and if we could bring my mic down just a hair, it's ringing up here really bad. So help me unpack this statement, if you will. Do you view God through the lens of your circumstances? Or do you view your circumstances through the lens of God? So that's a, that's a really important thing. Because the people of Israel, the enemy is at the door. In fact, they've even been defeated. They've retreated. It killed a bunch of men. God's people are losing to these Philistines. Now, we've known them and we've heard them before. We know they're the descendants of Noah's son, Ham. We know they are a very violent people. They're a very vengeful people. Anybody remember Goliath? Goliath was one of them. Uh, he was from Gath, and that's, uh, they, that's one of the towns we're going to talk about today. Uh, some will even suggest, some commentaries suggest that Philistine and Palestine are the same root words. Not everybody agrees with that, and why that matters is what's going on in the world today with Palestine and Israel. So I don't know. You can take that with a grain of salt. I just read that in a couple of different places. Now, these were people that were very selfish. They worshipped man-made gods, and they were known as violent and warlike. But here's the kicker. God told Israel to drive them out of Canaan and kill them all, and they didn't do it. And they've hung around and they continue to, to bother them. They continue to be a problem. They won't go away. Here's a question. You ever had an enemy that won't go away? Now, I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about maybe the enemy of addiction. Maybe the enemy of anxiety or depression or being overwhelmed or being lonely. And it feels like, okay, I'm, I'm going to beat it today. God's got this. We got, you know, and, and it feels like it's okay for a little while, but it keeps coming back. They never seem to go away completely. I wonder, how often do we miss the true power of God? The Philistines said, uh, the gods have entered their camp. They're going to win. Did you notice that? Uh, they... They said, uh, uh, the gods have come into their camp. Now, 
Now, it's interesting. It's lowercase g, and it's plural, which is not technically correct. But they seem to have a better theology than the Israelites. They see this God as the God of power. This is the God that, wow, he did a lot of crazy things. He did incredible things. Now, they called him the wrong names, but they saw when, when, and when they heard that this guy, this God was coming in, they knew God had power. But Israel seems to treat God like a lucky rabbit's foot, like a, a lucky penny. Hey, we're losing. We're losing this war. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Let's go. Let's go get that box. You know, the box, the one that has all the stuff in it. Let's go get that box and let's bring it and we'll take it to war and, and then we'll win. We're entitled to win. We're God's people. We should win. Everything should go our way, right? Do you see how, how much entitlement will warp our views? When we think we deserve what we, what we deserve, think we want what we deserve, it's going to mess up our, our viewpoint. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever try to strong arm your parents? Now, I know y'all people didn't do it. Y'all are good people. I'm a, I'm a jerk. So I, I, let me see if I can explain it this way. All right. Do you ever go to your parents with all your friends around to ask them something? Or better yet, the parents had all their friends around. Parents are having a party. You got all the, uh, everybody's at the house. So you grab your friends, you go up there and you, dad, hey, dad, uh, you know, you could give me the keys to the car or money or can so-and-so spend the night tonight? I know y'all have never done this. Okay. But I mean, we look at that. We go, oh, dad wouldn't tell us no in front of all his friends or in front of all my friends. And if he tells me no in front of all my friends, well, hey, then he's the bad guy and I don't have to. You know, my dad, wow, your dad's mean and everything. Y'all ever do that? We ever strong arm our parents trying to twist them around? He won't say no. I wonder if that's kind of what Israel was doing. Yahweh won't let us lose if we bring this box up here. He's not going to, oh my goodness, he's not going to let his box lose. There's no way. Would he? What if the Israelites aren't the only ones treating God like that? if we do that? Well, Don, I read my Bible. I go to church every once in a while. I'll put some money in that box when I go by there. But you got to understand, Don, I got a, I got a life. I got a schedule. I got stuff to do. I, I'm in charge and I'll, I'll add God in when I can. There is a mindset in our life that says, Oh, the world is bad. Let's have a revival. We need a revival. Let's get everybody in here. Let's all pray together. And surely God would listen to us if we get a whole bunch of us in here. You see what I'm saying? And, and we think that's what's going to cause revival. And, and it never does. That doesn't happen because of that. Revival happens when we change our heart. I'll tell you another one that's going to upset some of you. We think in our country, if we'll post the Ten Commandments, everything will be okay. We got this idea. Now, don't get me wrong. I like the Ten Commandments. I like all 613 of them, okay? But we got this idea that, well, if we'll post them, then everybody will act correctly, right? Doesn't work that way. It, this story here is more than the box or more than the Philistines. This story is about kingship and authority. Who has leadership in your life? And much like Hannah last week, she was giving the wrong things 
power and authority in her life. We talked about Hannah last week, a struggle. She was childless and, and the anxiety and the fear and the mockery from that other wife were, were hurting her. But when she went to the temple, when she went to the tabernacle and, and the priest said, well, go in peace. May God grant your wishes. She traded kings. She took anxiety and want and selfishness, took those off the throne, put them to the side, and put God on the throne. And much like that, we need to do that. But Israel, they're putting power and control and respect on their... Uh, they're giving it weight when they really, truly don't have the correct God. Yeah, they're God's people. Yeah, they're good people. But they don't have him as authority. And consequently, the Philistines win. 30,000 Israelites killed. The ark is captured. The priests are killed. Even with this lucky rabbit's foot box, God's people lost. Why? Why would God allow his own people to be attacked and lose? There's a statement later on in the fourth chapter. I know it's when they're talking about naming a child. They name the child Ichabod, but it says the glory of God is gone. It has left Israel. Now, if you've been with us before, we have talked about glory and weight in the Aramaic are the same root word. They're the same thing. Glory and weight. What gets your most weight What gets the most authority in your life, what gets your heaviest attention is your glory. Question, what gets the most attention in your daily life? And and I'm not griping, but listen, if you were to run into friends in town, are you more likely to talk about the state of the economy, the state of the state, the state of the water, the state of... The weather, your sports team, or would you rather talk about God? What is getting our heaviest attention? What is getting authority in our life? And if it's anything not named Jesus, it's wrong. But this story gets weirder. Look back in the text. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 5 now. Go to 1 Samuel 5 and verse 1. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the Ark of the Lord again. This time his head and hands were broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That's why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon or anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on its threshold. Now stick with me. This story gets fun. The Philistines stole this magic box, right? This, this Ark of the Covenant. They think it has power. They have mistaken the power of God with the presence of God. They mistook having the presence with him. Well, now they got the power. Franklin talked a couple of weeks ago about Aladdin, you know, a giant living, you know, um, almighty strength, itty bitty living space, right? And we rub on that thing and Jeannie comes out and gives us and grants us all our wishes. Sometimes we treat God like that. 
we run to idols because we think they're going to give us our wishes, just like the Philistines did. But you say, no, Don, no, 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 no. I don't have idols in my house. I don't bow down to anything. Friends, listen, we run to our money. We run to our popularity. We run to our pride. We run to our, our strength. Oh, do I have enough money in my 401k to retire so I can live the way I want to live? Oh my goodness, do I, uh, is everything going the way I want it? If I go to church, well, then maybe my health will get better. You hearing me? What about, what about some of the gifts that we have been given in our country? Freedom is a wonderful gift. But sometimes we get it in our head, well, if everybody will vote the right way, then everything is going to be okay. We think if we get this job or we get this position or we get this situation the way we want it, then everything's going to be okay. And we give hope to those idols. We're convinced that these idols are going to make everything all right. Friends, these are wonderful gifts. They are terrible gods. Freedom is a fantastic gift from God that he has given us to live in America, to live on the eastern side of New Mexico. I'm proud to live here. That is not a good God. Money is a wonderful gift. It's a a wonderful tool to do some great things. It is an atrocious God. And Yahweh wanted to make sure they saw what a God with power looked like. Did you notice where they put the ark? Put him next to this God, Dagon, that they served. Anybody remember the Ten Commandments? Remember, remember the first one? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods beside me. Thou sh- what that means is there shall be nothing that will be equal with Yahweh. But they put this box right next to Dagon and everything falls apart. Did you notice I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. But I wonder what an Israelite felt like when they would read this scroll in church. When they would read it in the synagogue and they would get to this line where it says, uh, I think it's in verse 3, face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So they put him back in his place again. Do we get the humor in that? (laughs) A man, man lifting a God back up in his place. I got to believe the Israelites were chuckling every time somebody read that piece. Imagine having to stand a God up. And then the second time, did you notice what happened? The head, hands broken off. Now that's really visceral and it's very visual to those people. Because when you conquered an enemy, you cut off the head of the enemy. David and Goliath. Goliath, or David goes out there and we, 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 you know, we do all that from VBS, right? Throws that rock, hits him in the head, he's, he's down. But do you know how he killed him? He went and got Goliath's sword. He could barely lift the thing, honk, and chopped off his head. That's how you finished him off, as you cut off their head. What Yahweh is proving here is, look, I am bigger than any of you. There is no equal to this king. Now, we hear phrases like, Oh, he has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. I, I get it. I, I love it. It's wrong. God doesn't need a single one of us. He wants every one of us. But he could defeat Dagon with his eyes closed and his hands behind his back. All right? This is the power that he is showing these people. 
But look at what happens next. Join me in 1 Samuel 5. We've got to go fast. Get with me in verse 6. Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the God of Israel here any longer. He's against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, What should we do with the Ark of the God of Israel? Rulers discussed it and replied, move it to the town of Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with a plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. Now, if you follow this story down, they passed this box around from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron and every place that's the exact same thing. Tumors, anxiety, fear. Don't you got to believe that the last town, that Ekron or one of them other ones, that their chamber of commerce meets them at the city limits and says, hey, 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 move on down the road. All right? We don't need that thing here. All right? Because it didn't take a rocket science to figure out where these problems were coming from. Honest question. And I don't mean this with no sarcasm whatsoever. What would it take for them to turn their attention to Yahweh? If not that. I, in fact, if you read it, it says, he's going to kill us all just like he killed our God Dagon. They're still worshiping a dead God. Do you get that? They're still, well, what if we die like he's going to, you know, he already killed our God. I mean, they didn't even get this. I think about it when I think of the story of Mount Carmel when Elijah and the prophets of Baal are on there. Why didn't it make a difference? Friends, what is it going to take to get them to turn from their selfishness? And what's it going to take for us? What is it going to take for us to turn? Now, you might say, well, I believe in God. Guess what? James says, the, you believe there's a God? Great. So do the demons. It says, even the demons believe and tremble in terror in James James 2.19. But let's be honest. They didn't see it. The Philistines didn't see the power. And Israel didn't either. They missed his power because they weren't seeking his presence. They wanted their lives the way they wanted. And they wanted to rub some God on it like a lucky rabbit's foot. And they were treating him that way. Jesus had the same problem. People came up to him, you know, and they, he got all of his buddies together in Caesarea Philippi. Who do you, who's everybody say I am? Well, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, one of those. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the guy. You're the Messiah. You're it. Do you realize we are facing the same question today? Is he king of your heart? Or is he just something you pull out when the circumstances are bad? You see, we're supposed to look through the lens of God, not through the lens of us. A lot of people think being a Christ follower is about do good things, stay away from the bad things. That's what it's all about. It's got to be so much more than that. It's a change of heart. We've got to know who has the authority and the power and the weight in our lives And then we got to name it and pull it off the throne and put Jesus there. It has to be an intentional act from us. We need to dethrone the things that are getting the weight. People missed seeing Jesus then and they do today. 
We see people come in, oh, it's around Christmas, it's around Easter, we better go get it, rub a little Jesus on us and make sure we're okay, right? And I'm not complaining, but it's got to be more than attendance at church and avoiding the bad things. There's got to be more to this than that. And Jesus was very specific about what his kingdom would look like, about what life in his kingdom would look like. It's very simple. Feed the hungry. Clothe the poor. Welcome the stranger. Care for the sick, the ones that are marginalized, the ones that are overlooked. Visit the prisoner. He didn't say we need to be king of our lives. He didn't even say we need to go fix everybody out there. Do you realize that? That's never been our mandate. Our mandate has never been to fix everybody. Our mandate's been to point them to Jesus. Just go love people where they're at. Just love them. Love them where they at. They are at. If we want to make a difference, it will be by having a different heart. Not by getting everything the way we want it and getting everybody to act like us. The Philistines missed that. Israel missed that. And we better learn from their mistakes. God is to be king of our heart. And he doesn't share his throne. We are made in his image. We cannot co-opt him to rub on us and make our wishes come true. Too many times we run to God, we, we make all of our plans, and then, oh, well, we better pray about this. Hey, God, bless all these plans I've already made. And I wonder if he's sitting there going, I wasn't involved in any of that. How, do, how can I bless something I wasn't even a part of? Friends, the world doesn't revolve around us. He is supposed to be at the center. So you got to choose your king. Now, this is hard for us to hear because the reality is you have a king. You all have a king. Something has authority, has weight in your life. And if it's not named Jesus, you need to get it off the throne. We need to choose his kingdom. It's simple. As it is in your world, God, let it be in your church because that's the choice we all need to make. Pray with me, would you? Father God, may we put you on the throne of our heart, on the throne of this church, on the throne of our community, our state, our country, but specifically of our intentions to make you king. Your kingdom is simple. Teach it to us. We love you and we praise you, not because our circumstances are great, but because you are great. So be great in our lives. May we shine your love wherever we go. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.